0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you'll pardon my voice and my cold, I'll bring it if you'll bring it. Amen. Amen. So for the last couple Wednesdays when I've had the opportunity to speak, i uh, not going to do an extensive recap or anything, but oh, I mentioned it last time. You bring forth the word of God, and, and I don't know how it is for, and I do know how it is. I, I know what it's like to be out there. Most of the time I'm out there in the pew, and I know what it's like to hear it. Uh, Good sermons and and bad sermons alike, and even the best of sermons, uh, recognizing when a sermon truly affects you in a way that it alters your life in a noticeable way, if we're really honest about it, it seems like those are few and far between. You could probably count them on one hand, maybe two if you're in a lot of anointed places and hearing a lot of anointed sermons. But we do know, and I do know this, and and I'm sure you will agree with me, that it is line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. Every time we're in the house of the Lord, every time that the word of God is preached, every time this holy anointed book is opened up and the words of life are presented there's something in you that's building. There's, it's building and strengthening the, the spiritual man. So every time we're in the sanctuary, every time we're in a Bible study, even in a home, every time we're focusing on God and his word, we're building that spiritual man. He's taking on muscle. And I know that to be true. Um, but some of those sermons are just, you feel like you got a shot of steroids, even though it's probably not a good thing, right? But you just feel that and, endorphin flow or whatever. And so I've really enjoyed what God has laid on my heart. And so two weeks ago, I or two times ago, it wasn't necessarily two weeks ago, but we we talked about the power of your choice and, you know, how the miracles are awesome and and God's going to do great things. And we'll get to that in just one moment, but God's going to do incredible things. But those incredible miracles and those, those monumental moments and times when, when God moves in such a mighty way, we can see over and over and over again in Scripture that it never kept Israel, never kept them moving forward. It, it didn't increase them even necessarily. It should have. You know, going through the, the Red Sea. And, and if you had a moment to stop, and and pick up a stone or perhaps a fish and throw it back into a wall of water and watch it swim away would have been an incredible thing that you would think would mark and, and improve and grow your faith to come, but it was only three days later that they find themselves in a place of Mara. And so the power of choice, making that choice, And we talked about it, and we went where Joshua said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Make the choice and stand by it, live by it. Not every day you're going to want to get up and pray. Not every day you're going to want to get up and read your Bible. There's going to be some times you might not want to be here for prayer or for church, but you know what? You make the choice and you do it. And there's power in your choice. Amen. We talked about that a little bit. And then we also um, talked about... Drawing your sword and engaging the battle. And that was preceding uh, the power of choice. And we went through how there are some battles that no one else can fight for you. And I'm reminding you because I need to remind myself. And, and when the Bible said that David encouraged himself in, himself in the Lord, what did he do? He reminded himself... Of God's word. He reminded himself of of what God had showed him, the victories and the battles that he had won already. David reminded himself and encouraged himself in the Lord. And so if I'm doing anything, it's that right here. And so there's some battles that you've got to engage and no one can win for you. And the beautiful thing is God's already given the victory and we've just got to fulfill our role and play our part. And so... I'm not really wrapping this up, but I just, God laid this little bit on my heart, and so when I say this in my pre-sermon word, uh, Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 28. It starts out verse 1 through 14, and it, it's the blessings for obedience. And, and it's just powerful. It, it could go on and on forever, but really what's said in these 14 verses, it, it is enough. And if you faithfully obey the, the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Not, not just blessings coming upon you, but can you imagine to be overtaken by God's blessings because of faithful obedience? The voice of God, right? If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall um, shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of the ground, and the fruit of your cattle, and the increase of your herds and of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be you uh, you be when you come in, and blessed you will be when you go out. And it goes on and on and on for fourteen verses on the blessing of obedience. And for you and I, we know what this is. It's, it's not just obedience, but it's, it's progressing in covenant relationship with God. Because that's what it's all about. We don't do things so that God does or doesn't. We don't serve God. Oh, God, help us. Please don't let it be that. We serve God so we don't go to hell. Or, you know what? I know what's coming because, yeah, there was only 14 verses that are powerful of the blessing, but next is going to come the curse. We're not worried about staying away from the curse. God's drawing us closer to him. And if 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 we're accepting that call and we're drawing closer to him, when we're taking on that spiritual muscle, when we're increasing in awareness of God, as we're spending time in prayer, going deeper in prayer, becoming more powerful in prayer, becoming even more comfortable in prayer. God's drawing us closer in the process, and we're being obedient to it. It's covenant relationship. It's what he has for all of us. I was thinking about it today. Uh, The the sermon, when I get to it, it's going to be rainbows and and mud holes. Rainbows and mud holes. And I, I got that sermon here back at the very, very beginning of 2017. And Pastor Cordell, I'm sure, remembers it, but I... I made an appointment to talk with Pastor Kylie, and, and it was a different time and a different season in my life. I, Moran, Moran and I, we weren't here at Abundant Life. You know, we were at that point in the lead pastor role at another church in Hartford. And I took some time to spend some time with Pastor Kylie, and coming out of that meeting, at the very end, I, he, he had said something, and, and I, it had something to do with rainbows and mud holes, and I said, Brother Kylie, I'm going to preach a sermon on that. <laughs> and so this sermon's been in the making for... Yeah, uh, three almost four, almost three years now. Just so you know, uh, but I was thinking about the progression of my ministry, and you know in that progression, I, I I'm honored and I'm privileged, and, I, and I'm actually even comfortable being right here. And I'm so thankful that I have this opportunity, but I don't feel in any way, shape, or form. And I know you agree with me. It's not a position, uh, a higher position. All it is is that you're getting closer to God and drawing closer to God. And, and as you're you're taking your opportunities and making the most of them, and as your priorities are shifting to Monday night, what did I do Monday night? Oh yeah, prayer. Came to prayer. I, gotta forgive the cloud of fog. I got a cold. Monday, I'm in prayer after work. Tuesday, go and teach Bible study. Wednesday, get to come to church. You get to feel God's presence. Deliver the word of God. Or receive. I wouldn't have it any other way. You take the opportunities God gives you, make the most of them, and God opens up more doors. God opens up greater venues, but it's not a place a position. I don't feel any further, any higher than I ever felt. If anything, I almost feel like, you know what, I realize just how lowly I really am. But yet, it's taking and making the most of these opportunities. It's drawing that sword and engaging in the battle. It's making a choice and moving forward, even when you don't feel like it. And so we don't do this because if I don't, God, this is going to happen. No, 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 no. God's drawing you because he wants to commune with you. And he wants to establish it deeper and deeper and closer and closer. So it flips then. From verse 15 through 44, there's the, the result or the, the curse, if you will, of Disobedience. Now, what this all comes down to is seeds that are planted by decisions and choices that are made on a day-to-day basis. That's what it comes down to. What are you going to do tomorrow morning? What are you going to do the next day, the next week, the next month? Regardless of what God does or does not do in this realm, in this world... He's always worthy, and I'm going to praise him, and you're going to praise him. You're going to worship him. You're going to serve him regardless. It's a decision made. And really, faithful obedience comes down to that. Day after day, no matter how I feel, I'm going to serve you, Jesus. And so the result of that, that's why the Bible's filled with with the, the idea and the examples of sowing and reaping, because it's easy to understand Sowing and reaping comes in seasons. You don't just plant a seed and then you eat from that seed the next day. It doesn't work that way. you got to plant some seeds and then you've got to wait some time, perhaps till some soil and work the soil a little bit. you got to water it sometimes. But it comes in seasons. And in due time, be not the seed, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Amen. So... It's really what it comes down to. And what I want to point out here is actually right at the tail end of of, of where these curses are, 46 kind of turns a little bit. Verse 45, I'm sorry. So we're going to look at 45, 48, and 68. Verse 45 says this. All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed. So the result of disobedience to God is... And and it's totally the opposite. God was saying, if you honor me, if you serve me faithfully, these blessings are going to overtake you. If you choose to be in disobedience to my laws, my precepts, my concepts, who I am, what I am, what I expect of you, the way I created you, your original design, then it's inevitable. These curses will overtake you. It's immutable, it's it's unchangeable, it will happen. Verse 48, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything and he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. You cannot make peace with the world. It will not happen. No man can serve two masters. You will either love the one and serve the other or... Vice versa. And then verse 68. And the Lord will bring you back. Oh, help us, Jesus. I love this. I love this holy book. I love the word of God. But let's be honest here. We're here on a Wednesday night. These are the warriors, right? I'm okay saying that. Is that all right? We're talking to the, 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 the grit, Right here. We know. This this, this book, it's filled with some pretty tough, tough things. Not all of it's easy to take. There's some serious, uh, hard, hard expectations God does put on us. We've talked about the unworthy servant before. It's a brutal thing. Go work all day. Spend all your energy. And then come home and, oh, don't feed yourself yet. Get yourself cleaned up and you serve the master. That's us on a Wednesday night. Haven't had time to really do much other than to grab maybe a little bit of a snack and then you're back to church. And and you know, that's, that's the unjust servant. But at the end of it all, what did the scripture say? You've only done what was expected of you. After you wait on God, then finally you can wait on yourself. That's a tough teaching. Honestly, it's a tough teaching. It's not your best life right now type of teaching. And this is one of those harsh realization scriptures right here. I probably didn't say that very well, but, and the Lord will bring you back to, in ships to Egypt. Egypt is where God brought us out of. Egypt represents bondage, a life in sin, no matter how deep we may, it may have been for some of us, maybe Deeper than others, regardless, Egypt is what God brought us out of. We know this, but he'll bring you, the disobedience will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promised you should never make again. It was never God's intention, it never is God's intention for anyone to ever end up back enslaved in Egypt. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale. This is brutal. Really listen to what God's showing us. At the end of it all, at the very last moment that you have resisted grace to the very end of your opportunity, huh, you will offer yourself for sale to your enemies as males and, male and female slaves, but there will be no buyer you realize what this is saying? When, when the disobedient heart has listened listen to the, 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 the lies of, of the adversary and of the world and, and bought into the facade of all that that is, at the end of it all, Egypt doesn't even want them. At the end of it all, the God of this world doesn't even want them. That is brutal. Anyone, oh God, anyone who would ever say, anyone who's ever been part of the body of Christ, who, who would say, I don't want to be a part of that, anyone who would badmouth what this is and what God has given us and how God has blessed us, anyone who would ever really think and buy into that lie and find themselves out there, there's going to be a moment in time when they realize, I'm not even wanted By what I've been enslaved to the whole time—that's brutal—and so from there, you have to parallel this with Second Chronicles chapter thirty-six. At the very end of the, the the divided kingdom, and God has given chance after chance after chance opportunity, opportunity after opportunity for Israel to be obedient to him. We'll start with verse 15. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people. Time has run out right here for Israel in the Old Testament uh, at the point when they had the, the U- united kingdom, then the divided kingdom, and they're about to, the remnant, uh, that the, the few that are left are about to go into captivity. The remaining few that already have not. Those who haven't already gone back to Egypt as worthless slaves. God had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. Verse 16, but... But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words, and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against this people until there was no remedy. It sounds hopeless right here. But I got a word for you. If there's even a breath of life, It's a war. Still worth fighting. Until there was absolutely no remedy, God's hand was outstretched still. This isn't the main sermon. But I know there's someone that needs to hear this tonight. God laid this heavy on my heart. Set it all aside. Don't Look at what you see in the natural, it's not hopeless. There is still breath. Grace is still before, behind, and God's hand is still on top. That's the way that, that the Psalms r- describes grace. It don't run out. You can't get away from it. You can't outrun it. You can't hide it from it. You can only resist it to your dying breath. But if the breath is still there. It is worth warring for. If there's still breath, whatever that situation may be, whatever the need may be, if there's still breath of life, it's worth going to battle on our knees for. It's worth fighting for and warring for in the spiritual. Oh, laying our petition down before God. He hears, he knows, and he's reaching. Oh, Jesus. All right. Our opening text, hmm, get that chuckle, it makes me want to say a little more, draw that sword and make the decision and stick to it, it's still worth it, it's still worth fighting for, amen, all right, so Genesis chapter 9. rainbows, and mud holes. Genesis chapter 9, starting with verse 13. And we'll start with verse 12. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all, everyone say all, all future generations. You think that includes us? and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is in the earth. Can I just say, God, it, his portion of the covenant is set in stone. It is absolute. So when we faithfully obey and walk in faith and in covenant relationship with God, the only variance is our choice. And our engaging in it. His does not change. And if we'll cling to it. Hmm. That covenant will never be broken. Amen. So. It was probably somewhere around 2016 that, that I heard this precept. It's not originally with me. This idea. This idea. And, and it, it was with Noah. And I can only imagine. I, I, I didn't grow up with a television in my house, and I think it helped me to have an incredible imagination. I don't think it's always served me well, but sometimes it does. And so uh, I I just visualized things, and, and, and I didn't have to go down to the Ark Encounter to, to really get a good glimpse of the Ark. I mean, that was pretty cool. It was awesome. I'm glad I was able to do it, but... I, I always thought about what it must like, be like to live in a confined space with two to seven pairs of every single kind of animal in, in the earth pretty much. And for a year's time, I think even as a child, I pondered how nasty and difficult that must have really been. Ha, uh, <laughs> ha, There's no, the reality of what they had to do on that ark. It wasn't a cruise. The animals didn't feed themselves. They were working the whole time. And then you think about it, it, the Bible doesn't describe a whole lot of extra windows. I think the one it described is way at the top. There were animals all over the place and they leave remnants and Evidence of where they've been, we'll call it scat. It had to have been a nasty, smelly place to be. Anyone got a dog or an animal? It don't take long for my dog to start smelling. Maybe they had to bathe them, I don't know, but either way it would have been a nasty place to be. And I'm certain that at the end of that year's time, they were more than ready to get off of that ark. Along with the reality of that, we read in the New Testament that, I believe it was in the book of Peter, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He preached the entire time he was building that ark. The earth was, there was it was quite populated. I personally believe that ark was big enough to save more people. God isn't a respecter of persons. And can you imagine for somewhere up to 100, 120 years, whatever it took to build that ark, to preach and have zero converts? And can you imagine what it would be like to be in that ark when God has shut the door and you've invested your 100 plus years into this mission. The door's now closed. The rain's coming down. The Bible doesn't describe it. But if I was on the outside and the waters are rising up, I know where I'm going. I'm going to the boat. Not because I believed, but because I'm in fear now. Can you imagine what it must have sounded like on the inside of that ark? As the waters are rising... And Noah is powerless to do anything to help. Think of desperate moments in your life. Being on the outside of that ark, what would you and I have tried to do to get into that ark? We would have been scratching, clawing, beating. Well, they're not hearing us. We're going to have to beat a little louder. You're going to be grabbing boulders and doing whatever you can to beat against that ark. Can you imagine the echoes that were reverberating through that ark, as Moses and Moses, Noah and his family are powerless to help people they perhaps even know. And so when we read that Noah becomes... When he has a vineyard, when he starts working the soil. Let me go to my notes. Verse 20 Noah began to be a man of the soil and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. I heard it spoken somewhere around 2016, could it have been that he actually got intoxicated on purpose? I had never thought about it that way. I heard that here. Could it have been that, that Noah had some heart issues afterwards? Could it have been that he had some regrets? Could it have been that he pondered and thought, what could I have done differently? What could I have spoken? Could I have used better words? Could I have spent a little less time building and perhaps a little bit more time reaching? We don't know. And I'm not preaching it as doctrine, but it very well could have been Hmm. that Noah was distracted Hmm. with the feelings he was feeling here. Could it have been that he was noticing the mud hole more than the rainbow? I'm gonna leave it right there, and that's all right because I'm just trying to establish, and I don't have all night. <laughs> Although I would go all night, and I think you know that. Rainbows and mud holes, perspective. Which way we're looking. Which way we're looking. Second Kings chapter chapter five. A story we know well the story of Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. He was a leper. (laughs) Somehow, you keep reading, and, and Naaman, he would go and he would raid Israel. And in one of those raids, he brings back a little slave girl from Samaria, and it's that same little girl that says, hey, Naaman, I know where you can get fixed. I know where you can get healed. And, and, and I'm not going to speak much about her other than to say, you know what, I think she saw rainbows when she could have been seeing mud holes. If anyone had a reason to keep her mouth shut, it would have been her. Hmm. But as the story goes, we know Naaman comes to Elisha's house. Elisha doesn't even come and meet him. Gehazi comes out, gives him the word. Well, here, go dip in the Jordan River seven times and, and you'll be clean. Naaman gets all upset. Naaman's he, he's, he's dismayed. He's, he's, he's disappointed because he's, he's a, a, a mighty man of valor. And if anything, anyone in Israel should have given him high honor. I would imagine that Israel would know who he was, or would at the very least be afraid of the Syrians. They're totally in submission to him at this point in time. And so he's disappointed. He's perhaps his pride is hurt, perhaps his ego is a little wounded. And are not the, the rivers where I come from much cleaner than this Jordan River? All he was seeing was a mud hole. But if he would look up and see the rainbow, as he was reminded by one of his servants, what have you got to lose? Who cares if all you're seeing is mud? It may just be. And when his perception changed and he dipped in the river. Seven times. Comes up and his skin is as clean and as soft as that of a baby. Because of perception. Which way you're looking? I don't want to step in that. That doesn't look good. That doesn't look clean. Huh? But your promise, there's a rainbow. Perception, which way we're looking? Look through the cloud. Naaman was looking through a cloud of doubt. Naaman could see nothing more than a mud hole. Looking back, the promise, the promise of the bow was after the hole. <laughs> it may be that you have to step through some mud holes. It may be that you have to go through some things you don't want to go through. Maybe a little bit of trial, maybe a little bit of tribulation, maybe something that isn't comfortable. I, I don't like to walk around in wet shoes and wet socks, it's uncomfortable. You step in mud holes, you get wet. But it may just be that a little bit of discomfort. Ah, okay, come on. Anyone felt uncomfortable lately? (laughs) Or is it just me that on a day-to-day basis I feel uncomfortable in this world? It's all right. Sometimes you gotta step through the mud hole and it might take a little bit looking down, but I'm here to remind you, look up because the promise is before you. Perception, which way we're looking, how we're looking at this. Here, let, let's, let's, let's get it a little bit more graphic if we could. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, and verse 30, 34. We're on our way there. We're going to stop here just for a second. As I mentioned earlier, harsh teachings in the word of God. Here's one of them. That choice. It's right there. Who wants to take up a cross? Come on, think of it. We know what Calvary was like. We've been painted the picture graphically many times. Actually, we really don't know what it was like, but we have a a pretty good picture of it, right? Who would want to go hang on a cross for someone else? Who would want to go hang on a cross for a filthy sinner? And yet, take up your cross and follow me. Is, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Some things are just gonna make us uncomfortable. Well, why, why'd you go here, Rob? It doesn't seem like it fits. Yes, Jesus is saying, hey, this isn't gonna be all a bed of roses, there's gonna be some mud holes. Maybe a mud hole is too simplistic of an illustration, but some things are not going to feel good. Some things we're going to have to go through hmm, are going to be unpleasant. But I promise you this, there's a rainbow on the other side of it. And if we'll lift our head in the process, God is going to reveal some things and grow us hmm, and increase us in knowledge of his word, knowledge of, of the spiritual realm, understanding It's what he does. It isn't always going to feel comfortable. And now we can go to our next verse Mark chapter 8. In verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. I used to wonder why, and then I read a little further. And when he had spit on his eyes, (laughs) some things are going to be offensive. And I had to go back to my notes for that. Some things are going to be offensive. Can you imagine? Ha, 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 My blind man. And I, I got some good ones. <laughs> can you imagine? You're blind. Or you're just one of the persons who's watching from a distance. You bring someone to Jesus and he spits on them. That is offensive, is it not? Huh. So depending upon your perspective and where you're viewing this, you could very well look at this as a mud hole. Hmm. More than what you're thinking even. But with the right perspective, There may need to be a mud hole, but there's a rainbow on the other side. There's a promise and a covenant that's right there. And if we don't keep our head down here, I like how I said that 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 Noah became a tiller of the soil or a worker of the soil. Soil, all that is always right down here. Natural realm. Can't look past into the spiritual realm with any spiritual insight because guess what? All I'm seeing is a mud hole. All I'm seeing is offense, frustration, and anger. Come on. At some point, we got to make that choice and that decision and say, you know what? God is greater, and I'm going to walk in promise. I may feel like I'm stuck in some mud. It may even feel like it's quicksand, but you know what? This is a thing of faith, and I'm going to grab a hold of a promise. Perspective. Thank you, Jesus. If we didn't read through thirty-seven, we will. He spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, and he asked him, Do you see anything? Well, no. You just spit him but spit on me it 's a little foggy. I see people, but they look like trees walking i, I, I don 't know if that 's why, but it wasn 't very clear yet. Then Jesus laid his hands on him again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly it 's what you see when You see the rainbow. You see things more clearly. Now he could have, this man could have very well taken offense and not received his miracle at all. But I'm telling you, on the other side of the mud hole, you'll see things much more clearly. You hear me say it all the time. Storms reveal things. They reveal it first here. if, if If we can't let God look inside of us and it, I'm telling you, it never feels good. It never feels good, but it's got to start right here. Getting past that mud hole is going to be by, okay, God, let's shed some light. Let's, let's, let's shed some of the sun right here. Huh. Expose some things, root them out, dry them out. But I'm telling you, it will reveal things and you will see things more clearly on the other side of that mud hole. You will see things more clearly on the other side of that offense. Amen. All right, so next verse. Look at John chapter 9. And you might want to put a finger here because we'll come back to Mark as we near wrapping up here. But John chapter 9. In verse 6. So you have the parallel account. It's the, same, it's the same happening. But you get a little bit more detail here. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Pretty sure it's the same account. And if it is, and he spit on him, and he spits on the ground, makes a little mud hole, takes some mud on top of that spit, rubs it in his eyes, just to make the point of how offensive. Sometimes it's going to need to be that we go through a little bit of offense. Does not the word say that offenses must come? But I'm telling you lift your eyes up. Don't just stop with your eyes, lift your head up. Don't just stop with your head, lift your hands up. And go ahead and you just praise God for that rainbow. You praise God for that promise because it's right there. So Mark chapter 8, verse 25, and you know what? I think I might have messed that up. Let's just go to my last scripture. First Chronicles. chapter 14. And we'll wrap this up looking at the spiritual side. I mentioned this at prayer on, on Monday night. Now I'm going to mention it again. 1 Chronicles, chapter 14, verse four, 14. And here, King of Tyre sent messengers to David and cedar trees, also masons and carpenters, to build a house for him. Isn't that wonderful? I'm waiting, for, I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for God to send the carpenters, the materials. I need a new shed slash garage. And perhaps when that happens, I will think I arrived. And David knew. I believe the King James Version says, and David perceived. Am I right? And David perceived that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that his kingdom, you can decide whose, was highly exalted for the sake of his people, Israel. I'll let you decide that one too. It's the Bible, so we just kind of assume that it's a, it's a good thing, it's a positive thing, that, David, David's, uh, uh, that the, the fact has caught up with David's faith. But... I have a little problem, and that's that chapter thirteen preceded chapter fourteen. And David is a spiritual man, and it's in chapter thirteen that we see David. Uh, matter of fact, I will we'll read it in verse verse one. David consulted with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, with every every leader, and said, David said unto all the assembly of Israel, "If it seem good to you, and from the Lord our God." Let us send abroad to our brothers who remain in all the land of Israel, as well as to the priests and the Levites in the cities that have pasture lands, that they may be gathered to us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we did not seek it in the days of Saul. All the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. The thing was right. It was the glory of God. It represented the presence of God for Israel. And so David just wants to bring the presence of God a little closer to home. There's nothing more right than that. Right? Covenant relationship. It, w- it, it was the ark of the covenant. And David felt drawn to covenant and he wanted to, be, to have that covenant more intimate in his life. That's noble, that's what we all want, it's what we desire, it's what God wants. And yet, we know the story. They're not transporting it right. Perhaps, it's, it's, perhaps maybe even the verses we read might have led a little bit into it, shed a little bit of light. It didn't seem like the Levites were the first ones that he consulted. Perhaps they should have been. They bring it back on a cart. The cart starts to tip over when it hits a rock. I believe it was used, lifts up his hand. God smites him dead. And what does it say? David was angry. But can you imagine once again, all you're trying to do is get closer to God. And in the process, it costs someone their life. Not only that, I I didn't look into who he was exactly, but if he was right there up front and center, my guess is it was probably someone close to David If all of Israel is part of this and excited about this, he's up front and center. Perhaps David was really upset that it cost someone near and dear to him their life. Let's put ourselves in in, in that place. God, why is it that my loved one, huh, why is it, God, that I've lost this or that I've lost that? Come on, if we're real, we've all got these questions. I've got mine. God, why haven't you broken forth here or there? We've all, we all go through mud holes in these times of trial and times of tribulation and times of questioning. Where are you, God? Why haven't you yet? Why has this happened or that not happened? David's pretty disgruntled. He's angry. And so when I read the scripture... Because I'm not very good at systematic reading. I'm taking it all in and I'm, I'm visualizing it. And when I'm reading 14, I'm remembering what happened in 13. And I'm remembering David was disgruntled and now David, at this point, in the natural realm, his kingdom's starting to be built up and come, coming together and he perceives that he's arrived. And what do we see in the very next verse? Verse 3, the most spiritual thing David could possibly do. And David took more wives in Jerusalem. No, it's not spiritual, I get that. It was quite the contrary. God never intended for that. And I mentioned it on Monday and I do believe it. Why is it, and let's just be real. When we feel like, hmm, we can't do something about this, hmm, we go and we reach for that. That's not always a good thing. I don't need to fill in the blanks, but when things aren't going right, it becomes so much more appealing to reach for what's wrong. What David did. And he set a pattern that what he did, if we say he did it in moderation, we could definitely say Solomon followed that pattern in excess. Right? You could almost call it a generational sin. Family patterns. Now, I'm not going any more deep than that, other than to say perception. I've always looked at that word, perceived, as a spiritual word. And even when I think of spiritual things, well, I perceived in the spirit. It just works. But David perceived in the wrong way. Why? Because David was seeing a mud hole. Rather than the rainbow. And our perception is so important. Look past the offense of the mud hole and there will be a bow of promise. Lift up your head, your arms, and your voice. Look up. Perception. Oh, there may be mud holes, but there's always that rainbow. It's a never-ending covenant and promise that God has given all of us. Amen. Let's stand. Rainbows and mud holes. Thank you Pastor Kylie. <laughs> he had no idea. But I bet you he remembers. It's true. It's the word of God. It's a principle of the word of God. You could even say it adds up the kingdom culture. It defines who and what we are. Hmm. The words, God's word. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this evening that you bless us with, this time that we've had together, time of worship and time of your word. God, I'm thankful for everything that you've set in motion, everything you're doing. I'm thankful that your hand is upon all of it, God. I'm thankful, Lord, for everything that you set before us, even the good, the bad, and the ugly, Jesus. I know it. We've been around long enough, God. We've come through enough, Jesus, enough of the mud holes to realize that your increase, Lord, is on on the other side of it. We're going to go ahead and we're going to make our way through it. But, Lord, let somebody be encouraged tonight. We can go ahead and we can decide once again, Jesus.